Chapel, and I'm uh, glad to be here. As you uh, see, uh, Tom is uh, doing well, and it's always great uh, to uh, come out and be able to visit, because I was afraid if I came out earlier, I wouldn't get to see him, so I've got to see him in person because of your prayers, and, and uh, God has just done a, a great work of healing uh, with Tom, and given the doctor's wisdom, we're, th- we're thankful for doctors that God has gifted in that way to uh, be uh, sometimes his hands to bring that about that healing. And and so it's, uh, it's a blessing to be here this morning and just to be able to share with you again. And uh, I just want, before we, <clears throat> excuse me, before we uh, begin this morning, I would like to, since this is Memorial Day weekend, to just express my appreciation for all the families, uh, brothers and sisters and loved ones that uh, have passed away defending our freedoms and and giving their lives uh, in service to this country. And uh, just to acknowledge the, uh, the, the child who grew up without a father because he uh, was uh, killed in action. And, and so uh, we want to just uh, remember those who paid the ultimate price, and of course, uh, Jesus paid the most ultimate price, but but they sacrificed, and those families have sacrificed, and so as uh, we begin our study, uh, I want to just take a, a time and just pray and give thanks to God for them, so let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this Memorial Day weekend, and God, help us not to forget those who Lord, have paid that price, Lord, and the families that have uh, paid that price and the loss of a loved one, a, a brother, a sister, a, a f- husband or a father, Lord. And, and God, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would just continue to uh, help us be mindful of those and, and those that are currently serving, that are uh, putting their lives on the line. Uh, God, may we remember to pray for them. May we, uh, Lord, when we uh, encounter them in our day-to-day life, Lord, may we express to them our appreciation for that uh, sacrifice, for that service. And now, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, we come to the one who, uh, Lord, paid the ultimate price, Jesus. And, and God, we want to learn and we want to love and we want to live for you and your glory increasingly. God, it's our desire, Lord, to see uh, your church, Lord, continue to uh, further your kingdom. And I thank you for this church here. I thank you for Tom and Lisa and all those that serve here uh, that have been so faithful for so many years. Uh, God, I pray uh, your blessing upon this uh, fellowship of believers. And uh, God, I pray that as we open your word today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, and God, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, bless this time of study in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. i got to clear something up before I start on this week's study, and that is last week when I was teaching on the rapture, 
I drew this illustration of uh, people are perplexed because there's a, you know, uh, somebody gets cremated in the rapture. Uh, somebody's been cremated. Their ashes were scattered on a field. The cow ate the ashes. And then uh, as he ingested the ashes, then it became part of the DNA, became part of the milk. And then you drink of the milk. And how's God going to bring that all back together? Well, guess what? He's God. Okay? He's God. And if he's got the hairs on your head numbered, Believe me, he can find all that DNA and all the necessary parts. Even if it's changed, God is going to bring back that body and we will have a glorified, resurrected body. So I just wanted to clear that up before we start because I... I went out there and then I got so excited about talking about, you know, the resurrection and, and how excited I was about being in heaven that I forgot to finish my uh, illustration there. So uh, that's that's where we're at. Uh, so today, though, Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter two. I'm going to look at Second uh, Timothy 2 in verses 1 through 15. I'm going to focus in on verse 15 in a study I've entitled, Are You Doing Well? Living Well? Leading Well? How can you tell? Are you doing well? How can you tell? Here in Second Timothy in chapter 2. And let's read. This is a, a letter that is written uh, by Paul the Apostle. Again, as he is about to pass off the scene. And he is sharing to, uh, with a younger man uh, by the name of Timothy. Uh, Paul being a courageous fighter and uh, further of the gospel. A guy who's been through so much. And he's about to finish his course. So these are important words to pay attention to. As he passes them on, really, he's writing these, really, First and Second Timothy, to a younger man, to a millennial, to the next generation who is going to step in. This man about to step into the shoes of Paul. A different personality, a little more timid, but Paul is writing to encourage him to not allow that in any way to slow him down or hinder him in the ministry that God has called him to. And so as we read these words, I'm going to read uh, this section out of the New Living Translation. I, I hope you don't stone me to death for that, but I, I like the translation. And it reads a little uh, different, but it says the same thing. If you could follow on along in your ESV, New King James, uh, King James, whatever translation you have, and, and you're going to see that uh, the words may be changed, but the meaning still is intact. And so here in Second Timothy chapter 2, let's read, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things, and they have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Don't you just hear his heart? Come on, hang on to this stuff. Just teach it, man, and, and, and hang in there. Pass the message on. And then he tells them, though, there's a consequence. There's a cost. Endure suffering. Hey, not everybody's going to like what you're saying. Not everybody's going to receive what you're saying. 
But don't let that slow you down. Listen, endure suffering along with me. You know what I suffered, and Timothy knew that. He says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So Paul is saying, hey, you're going to be out there. You're going to be fighting the battle. God will take care of you. Just like the, the soldiers enlisted and, and the, the, uh, the enlisting government takes care of him. Listen, the farmer gets the fruit that comes from his labor. So God will take care of you, Timothy. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Always remember, he says in verse 8, that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. And this is the good news I preach. And because I preach the good news, don't be surprised if you suffer for it. You see, I'm suffering. I've been chained like a criminal, but the Word of God cannot be changed. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those who God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with Him. But if we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are unfaithful, He still remains faithful, for He cannot deny who He is. He's saying, Timothy, listen, if you flake out, if, if, you, if you falter, Know this, God remains faithful. And He will bring you through to the end. Don't deny Him. Don't turn away from Him. Just continue to press in and press on. And when you fail and falter, get back up and keep moving ahead. I just hear this seasoned saint sharing these words to encourage this young man. And then he says this. This is what you're to do, Timothy. You're to remind everyone about these things. And command them in God's presence. To stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless. And they can ruin those who hear them. And work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed who correctly explains the word of truth and avoid worthless and foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. And this kind of talk spreads like a cancer. And in the case of Hymenius and Philetus, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead is already incurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Paul here is reminding this young man of what's before him. 
and and what it is that God has called him to do and how to live and to lead a life that is going to make an impact in our world. Listen, folks, that's the only hope. Jesus Christ and the work of God and the Word of God is the only hope for this world. That's why it's so important, young people, that we impact, that we take seriously the Word of God, that we give ourselves to the work of God and pull out all stops without reservation, without hesitation. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in his famous speech at Harvard, put his finger on the real issues when it comes to making an impact. He says, we have placed too much hope in politics, social reforms, and social reforms, rather, only to find out that we were being deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual life. It is trampled by the party mob in the East and by the commercial one in the West. All the celebrated technological achievements of progress, including the conquest of outer space, do not redeem the 20th century's moral poverty. We need a spiritual blaze. Folks, that's what we need. You know, we can have presidents and we can all kinds of governors and, and, and civic leaders and God bless them and we are to pray for them and not complain about them. We are to lift them up to the God. But know this, none of those people can impact the lives of men and women like the gospel of Jesus Christ, like a man or woman who is on fire for the Lord. And listen, we are all called to be leaders. We're all leading in some capacity. Do you know that? Moms, your children are watching. Other women are watching. Men, you know what? Children are watching. Your co-workers are watching. They watch how we live and how it is that we lead. They're looking at our lives. And let me ask you a question as I began. How are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to being one who impacts the lives of others? What kind of impact are you having? Well, here we are with Paul talking to Timothy. And, and he says here in verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, it's usually considered rude to listen in or to eavesdrop on a personal conversation, but we've all done it, haven't we? We've all done that. You've been sitting at the restaurant and somebody suddenly you hear somebody behind you and you didn't even want to, I mean, you're going, I need to stop. But then suddenly you, that you hear something and you go, oh, I wonder what that, oh, whoa, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. In fact, I wish I didn't hear that. Sometimes you, you eavesdropped and you wish you didn't hear it. Well, listen, this is not rude to listen in and eavesdrop on this personal conversation that Paul is having with this young man, with Timothy. In fact, we need to pay very close attention as one massive accountability 
group here at Calvary Chapel Springfield to be the men and women to watch out for one another and to encourage one another to do what? To do the best, Paul says. To work hard, to make it your aim. It was Aristotle who said, like archers, we stand a far greater chance of hitting a target if we can see it. You see, perhaps some of you today are saying, sit there in your homes, I've, I've not make it, I've not made rather uh, a, a much headway as a Christian. I, I've been kind of slow when it comes to, you know, uh, the idea of growing in the Lord. Well, perhaps the reason for that for some of you might just be that you don't have a clear vision or picture of the goal in front of you. I mean, listen, it would be very difficult for a football player that's blind to get the ball down to the goal. You see, they got in the football stadiums, they got these giant goal goal posts. And they are usually painted a pretty bright color. The reason being is they want you to know where those goal posts are. And as a football player, those are important posts. Those are where you are headed. You are getting out of all effort, pulling out all stops to head down to those goal posts. And there are lines, there are boundaries that you don't get too far off. There's, there's a whole section and area that's lined off and you gotta stay in those lines if you're going to get the score, if you're going to win the game. So here it is. I'm gonna give you some lines this morning that will help you head down the right road to get down to that place, to get really up to that place that God has called you to. And I'm going to give you three questions that you can ask at the end of every day to evaluate the spiritual quality of your walk, your witness, your leading as a believer in Jesus Christ. That will help you evaluate how you're doing. And that they're here in the text in in verse 15 where Paul is saying, hey, listen, you need to do your best to present yourself to God and receive his approval. First of all, if you're taking note, is the Lord well pleased? The end of the day, you know, when you check in, you say your prayers before you go to bed, ask yourself, is the Lord well pleased with the day and the way that I've lived my life today, with what I've done? You see, it's all about, as Christians, a passion for a person. Not just a pursuit of knowledge alone. You know what? It's not about how many verses you know in the Bible and even how great of an expositor you may be. You, you may be able to just exposit a text and, and you may have all kinds of theological understandings and knowledge and, and that kind of a thing. But listen, at the end of the day, it's not just about that. The Pharisees knew the Scriptures and and could quote them. But guess what? They had the knowledge, but they didn't have the passion 
and the love and a relationship with Jesus. When he showed up, you see, the reason that they didn't recognize him is because they had just head knowledge. There was no heart. There was no passion for God, for a person. It's about it's a passion for a person. When we read the word, it's revelation of a person. Not just a, a, a conquest to, to get knowledge. You can be a hypocrite, a Pharisee. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God, to study to, to that end. You see, to make every effort, study literally means there to do one's very best in attempting to do something, to make every effort to, to try as hard as possible to do something with intense effort, with definite purpose or a goal. Study to show, the word show means to cause a state with focus upon the process that arrests the attention of God. Hey God, I'm, I'm here and I'm opening your word and I want to not just know it, but to apply it. And I want my passion and love for you as a person to grow. To show myself, to show myself rather approved by not men. Not to be able to win an argument alone. Not to be able to, you know, tell people and impress people with your Bible literacy, but to be approved by God. To do it in a way that God looks like, like did. You remember the story, the Roman centurion who had a, a, a daughter that was dying and he came to Jesus and says, Hey, my daughter's dying. Come to my house and, and, uh, I mean, I, I need you to come to my house, but but what happened? Uh, was Jesus was on his way? The woman, of course, grabbed a hold of his robe, and and he got delayed, and and then hey, he said, "It's not necessary for you to come to my house. I have men, and I tell them to do this and do that, and they go. So if you just speak the word, he'll she'll be healed." And guess what? Jesus marvelled at that man's man's faith. He was he's. He's going, wow. I mean, I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. I love that. How, how about you? How about me? Day in and day out. Uh, do we live in such a way? Do we love in such a way? Do we lead in such a way as to get the attention and, and sense the approval of God in our lives? That word for approved by God, that phrase literally means, uh, when it uh, speaks of approval, it speaks of being truly and completely genuine. A genuine love that casts out fear. Same word, uh, love, agape, casts out fear. It eliminates any kind of fear, you see. A one who truly loves doesn't live in fear because with fear there's torment, Jesus said. That's why people are so fickle and the fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. 
You see, we only need to have a reverential fear of God and not a fear of man. And if we're going to have that, then we need to be those that are that are learning and that are uh, living in such a way as that that people see Jesus and, and then Jesus looks at us and sees and, and he's pleased with us. You know, it's possible to be completely and extremely successful with men and be a total failure with God. It's possible to be so captivated and enamored with what others say and and think about you. And, and there are people that live that way. Uh, they live one way at church. And, and people at church are going, wow, they're godly. Look at how holy they are. Look at how knowledgeable they are. But when they get home, they live a completely different way. That ought not to be. You know what? On three separate occasions in the scriptures, the heavens were opened. And we hear the Father speaking of the Son. And He says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Or it could be translated, In whom I find delight. Why is that true? Well, we don't know until we get to the book of Hebrews when the writer there informs us that before Jesus Christ visited planet Earth, he paused on the threshold of heaven and he said what we have recorded in the Old Testament in Psalm 40 in verse 8. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight or desire, take pleasure to do thy will, O God. Hebrews, referring back to that, the writer of Hebrews said, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. God found all of his pleasure, you see, in the Son. And the Son found all the, his pleasure in the Father in doing his will. Not just knowing it, but in doing it. Saints, leaders, young men, old, you know, older men, God is calling you to be faithful. Not for the purpose of winning man's approval. You see, because if people pat you on the back at church and think, oh, you're wonderful, you're amazing, and then you go live your life another way, in, in front of others, or you're holding and hanging on to some kind of secret sin and, and uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, listen, you may be able to flatter men. And, and you may be, uh, 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 you know, a, a person who uh, people look at and go, oh, how godly, how, how amazing they are. But listen. How are you before God? Because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Listen, if God is using you powerfully, don't live. Please don't live for the approval of men. And when, and when people say, wow, God is really doing a work through you, watch out for that attitude that, hey, man, I'm all that. You know, I mean, I, I am. Uh, I'm amazing. Watch out. Don't believe your own press. 
Don't get that, hey, look at me attitude. Uh, don't be a person who performs. Someone has said, and I like this, man is the only creature that you can pat on the back and his head swells up. Watch out for that. Living for man's approval alone. Somebody else said, praise is like perfume. It's good to smell, but I wouldn't recommend swallowing it. It's God that gives the final approval. It's God whom reveals what pleases Him. And there in Hebrews, where it talks about Jesus doing the will of the Father, it's the hall of faith. And we have many men and women that are listed there who won the approval of God who men didn't care about at all. So live for the pleasure of God. May uh, you men and women of faith be those whose ears are tuned in to the one voice of the Father saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the end of every day. You see, don't live to be a big shot or gain recognition or don't live for a reputation. Why want people to think well of me? Uh, Listen, that's again a performance mentality. Watch out. Live your life pointing people to Jesus Christ. It's to Him All the honor and all the glory and all the praise belongs. Is that your driving passion? You see, if your driving passion is to please God, then guess what? God is going to be well pleased. So is God well pleased with your life? Number one question. Number two question. Is the work well done? Again, uh, not simply knowledge. He says that we are to be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed. You see, as believers, we need to be those who are living in a way that, that we bring no shame, that we bring no reproach to the kingdom of God. To the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's got to be a passion for excellence. And the pursuit of excellence. There's a, an ongoing controversy that I read about in the art circles uh, historically as to who is the greater. Was it Michelangelo, the pupil, or Bertoldo Giovanni, the teacher? The che- teacher, uh, Bertoldo knew that often very gifted people, he had been a teacher for some time, have a propensity to rest on their laurels as they take in the praise of men. And they tend to reach a place to where they no longer strive and and move ahead. And Giovanni warned Michelangelo repeatedly about this, but with no response. Well, one morning he walked in, Bortolo walked in to the studio and there were the 
people gathered around Michelangelo and he has he was piddling on a little piece of sculpture and, and they were impressed and all and Bortolo went over and he picked up a sledgehammer and he smashed that piece that he was working on into a thousand pieces that ricocheted all over the room. And there was a stunned silence among the students and, and Michelangelo uh, that followed, you see. And Bortolo shouted, Michelangelo, talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. That's what Paul's saying here. We need to be workmen and women who do not need to be ashamed. And, and I've asked myself a hundred times what I might be ashamed of. I would encourage you to think about it. I think that we might be ashamed, first of all, of aiming too low many times. Oh well, that's good enough. You know what, I've, I, I've, I've done this, uh, you know, and, and God has called me to do this. But, but you know what, uh, that's good enough. And we lower the standards. As, as a church, we have a tendency to do that. There are some churches that in order to attract the people and get the people in, they lower the standard and the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, there is one very popular uh, person who has a stadium full of people that rarely talks about sin. You see, oh, that's the standard. Don't let's lower that standard. Let's not talk about sin and repentance and and hell and let's just talk about positivity. You know, and trolls, a little positivity guy. You know, let's just be happy and and talk about you're the champion and that and and they lower the standard that God has set. Paul talked about. Pressing towards the mark of the high calling in God. Forgetting those things which are behind. I move ahead. Make it easier to, you know, to just be in church. And we're just glad you're here. We don't care if you really grow in the Lord. If you really make any sacrifices to serve the Lord. We just want the bodies to be here so we can talk about it. We can get some more money. You know, that's that's not what it's all about. We continue to lower the bar many times. We're doing it in schools. Well, let's not give them a grade and failing a password. We're lowering the bar. And in the church, there's this propensity to lower the bar when it comes to serving the Lord. And so no wonder the church, many churches are in a place of just manageable mediocrity. Mark's Many churches. And the attitude, of course, is uh, the person in the pew is that consumer mentality. Hey, I come to church. Isn't that good enough? Well, listen, it's a start. And I commend you for that. That Those of you that have tuned in and and joined in online this morning, I I commend you. You made a good choice uh, to tune in uh, to the Word of God being taught and, and to listen to what He's saying. But there's more than that. You need to step it up. You need to find a place and be involved in serving. And you need to find and and be in that place when you're serving. You see, you need to know that people, you're leading again. People are watching. Are you doing well? Is the work being done well? 
What do I mean by that? Well, I mean you do a great job in your area of service, man. You have it and, and, and you pressed in and you are growing in that area of service, not only in the excellency of doing that which God has called you to, but the attitude with which you do it. You know, uh, watch out for, you know, getting dressed, getting the kids all dressed in the morning to go to church and you're a Sunday school teacher. Oh boy, I gotta go this morning. I don't really want to go this morning. Oh, those kids, I hope they're not crazy this morning. And, and, and you're driving to church and you have that, yeah, here, I wish I could stay home today. And, and that attitude, guess what? You're passing it on to your children, the attitude about church, the attitude about serving. If you come here and you serve and, and as we get back together, you're going to have opportunity to do so as, as you do that service. What's the attitude with which you do that service? Because it impacts others. If you do it with all your heart, with a joy and, and excitement about serving the Lord, guess what? Others are going to have that same joy. It passes it. It, it grows. If you find pleasure and, and, and the people see that the purpose of God in your life being manifest by the way in which you serve and the attitude with which you serve, it's going to challenge others to step up. You see, yeah, it's going to cost you something. A lot of times we, you know, we, we are interested, well, what's the minimal thing I can do, you know, for the Lord? I think about David. Second Samuel 24, you can read it for your homework. The children of Israel were falling like flies because David was numbering the people. Now, numbers aren't bad and, and certainly can be an indicator of God's blessing. As we see in the book of Acts, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 saved. Man, I'd have loved to hear that one. I might have stole it. I mean, 3,000 people in one thing. That's, that's pretty impressive. And the number is there. And numbers aren't bad, but if that's the primary goal by which you measure a church, by which you measure your success, you're going to wear yourself out trying to get those numbers and keep those numbers. Jesus said to the disciples, throw out the nets. He didn't say jump in with clubs and beat the fish. He said, throw out the nets. And, of course, the opportunity, the work of the Holy Spirit filling those nets. David, in Second Samuel, came to the high priest and said, What shall I do? Because the people were dying. And the high priest said, I suggest that you offer up sacrifices to the Lord our God. Well, at that point, David finds himself outside of the property of a man by the name of Aruna. And I'm sure as Aruna looked out from the flaps of his tent as he heard this entourage coming on King David, he, his heart must have skipped a couple of beats as he sees the king and secret service with all the secret service and the pomp and circumstance coming towards his tent. And he comes out seeing the king and honoring the king and excited probably. He says, hey, David, King David, what do you need? Good to see you. And David said, listen, I'd like to buy a piece of property, Aruna. And I'd like to offer sacrifices up to the Lord. 
I'm sure that we can all understand and relate to what Aruna said in response to David asking to purchase a piece of property. When Aruna says, you know, I mean, Aruna probably thinking, you got to be kidding. The king, listen, I'm telling him, I'll give you the property. I'll give you everything you need. What do you need for a sacrifice? I've got it. I'll give you everything. And then David offered one of those statements that is one of the most classic to fall from the lips of a man. When he said, no, you won't. Neither will I offer unto the Lord my God that which cost me nothing. I assure you that service that counts is the service that costs. It's going to cost you something. If it's going to count, there's a cost. Significant saints and impactful people aren't going to be found in a bargain basement sale. It comes as a high-priced item. And I know there are many of you, as I've been here many times, who have served faithfully over the years at this church and you've just stayed in that place and you've done it faithfully and you've done it with all your heart with a great attitude joyfully and thank God for those kind of service and that's what God wants us to be so number one is God well pleased number two is the work well done and then finally thirdly is the word well used that involves a passion for truth. Ayn Rand, a noted novelist, said, Honesty is adherence to truth, and truth is discovery of reality. I believe the great challenge confronting us in, is in Christian teaching and the realization that God has spoken, and guess what? He didn't stutter. God doesn't stutter. He wanted to communicate with you and me, and he wrote his message in a book called the Bible. That message, again, written not to satisfy your and my curiosity, but to impact and change lives radically for all eternity. It's not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you more like Christ, our Savior. And that's why Paul adds, Do your best to correctly handle the word of truth. To rightly divide the word of truth that you have known. Listen, people, you can't impart truth out of a vacuum. You can't dispense and give something to others that you don't have. You've got to lay hold of the truth yourself. Stephen Farrar said, We must be ruthless to keep ourselves in the Word of God. We must read it, chew on it, ponder it, and apply it with more vigor as we grow older. I think also that we must be afraid of ourselves and our potential to commit great sin. We must keep a close watch over our lives. We are called to live by a higher standard. I hope in the years to come, that the expository teaching that has been a hallmark of this church under Pastor Tom and those who he's raised up will continue to be a high priority in our lives 
and in the lives of this church as believers. And we continue to hold a high view of Scripture and give ourselves to the discipline to study, to dig into the Word faithfully, that we may know the truth of God increasingly and apply it, and that we are able to give every man a reason for the hope that lies within us. That comes as a result of the study of God's Word. But I think the expository teaching also calls us to exemplary living. Again, the word and the truth, the word and the deed. Truth is when the word and the deed become one. One problem today is it seems to me is we're long on information and short on transformation. We're like poor photographs overexposed and underdeveloped. One man has said, I like We've been called to communicate the truth, but to do so with humility and confidence, compassion and clarity. I'm convinced that the three greatest days in a person's life are the day they were born and the day they were born again and the day when they come to grips with why they were born and born again. God's put you here with plan and purpose. You are a gifted, well-trained, committed, faithful group of God-fearing, God-loving men and women. And you need to continue to give yourself to the service of our God and to the study of His Word. George Morrison said, God rarely permits His servants to see all the good they are doing. Perhaps you've come today, you've joined us today, and, and, and you're discouraged. You feel like you're having no impact and, and going nowhere. It's uh, like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. He's a real nowhere man living in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Uh, that's not the kind of life you want to live. That's a, that's an empty, a, a dead life. What a drag. Where you wonder if, if it's really worth it all. We, we need to lay hold of the unchanging promise that God gives us in Galatians 6, 9. In due time, we will reap the blessing and benefit if we don't what? Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't get, throw in the towel. Uh, yeah, it, it's not easy to serve the Lord uh, many times. And, 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 and you don't see anything happening, perhaps. But don't forget, God's got a plan and a purpose. And you don't see the whole thing yet. He's got great things for you because He's a great God. And He wants to use you to impact people, you see, presently, that they might uh, join with us in eternity. And people are watching. And the measurement for ministry, you see, is, is not how big, uh, you know, of scope and how many people's lives, you see, that you are involved in. It is, is the quality, you see, and the love, which is the fruit of the Spirit, that's the real measure. And listen, all of us 
are important in the work of God. And maybe you see, think your area of service is no big deal. It's not in front of everybody. And, you know, I want to be somebody. Uh, no, you want Jesus to be somebody. You want to be like John the Baptist said. What John the Baptist say? When they said, hey, are you, are you the Messiah? He says, oh, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. I'm not a personality. I'm not out there going, hey, look at me, man. I can, I can lay it down. I can preach, man. I can, I can say Holy Ghost stuff. I can... You know, and I, I, hey, and everybody leaves church talking about me. Ah, I like that. My flesh loves that. That's not what I want. I want people leaving church talking about the Word of God and the truth of God and to know that no matter who you are and where you're serving the Lord, as you serve Him with all your heart, faithfully, with a purpose to bring Him honor and glory and do it to the best of your ability, God sees it. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And in due time, you will reap His reward. And that that thing that you're praying about, that opportunity that you're praying about, don't give up because the doors may open. Maybe just around the corner. Don't give up a bit too soon. Hang in there. You can get to the goal, not on your own, but in the strength and the power of God. Ask yourself, how am I doing? Perhaps you have a brother or sister in the Lord who could help you check on your spiritual life. I, you can ask your wife if you're brave enough. You could ask your husband if you're brave enough. You can ask your children. They, uh, you can ask a, a brother or sister in the Lord who, who prays for you and who you're in fellowship with. Hey, how's it going? And here's some questions, and I'll close with these that I think will be helpful. Uh, number one, is my personal and devotional life really satisfying or just routine? And is God answering specific prayers? Number two, do my wife and I agree on ministry or are there tensions? Number three, are there any growing problems with the children that are directly related to and because of ministry? And maybe the double standard you see. And number four, am I giving my family a negative view of the church and the ministry? A number of, do, or the second part of number four is, do they see me enjoying or just enduring ministry? Number five, am I still willing to make sacrifices for the work? Still willing to make sacrifices. And number six, am I watching the clock and the calendar and just living for the end of the work day or the weekly day off? Am I instant in season? And out of season, no matter what is convenient or not convenient. Number seven, am I bothered when people make demands on me when I am interrupted? You know, people interrupt. Oh, I can't believe they call me interrupt me. I, you know, I, I don't, this is my day. This, I was supposed to be off today and then they call me and want this or want that. And number eight, am I prone to put people off or give them stock answers to their problems? 
Number nine, am I willing to stay here and serve faithfully until God moves me elsewhere? Or am I looking at greener pastures somewhere else? I know a pastor friend of mine who, man, he was so distracted. He had a great work, a great church, but he was so busy trying to get to another location because he didn't really want to be where he was. He wanted to be where there were more people and and that kind of a thing. And uh, to this day, I mean, eventually he lost his church. They shut the doors. They actually gave it to another church, and they're doing a a TV service because this guy got just started poking around and, and looking around and always looking for something else rather than staying faithful and staying put. Number 10, is there authority in my leadership because I really seek to teach the word and practice it myself? My prayer for you is that in your service, that we as Christians will continue to have solid biblical answers to those questions. Is the Lord well pleased? Is the work well done? Is the word well used? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray now that we have heard these things. I pray for myself. Lest preaching to others, I myself might be set aside, Lord. I I pray that these things would uh, be things that in my own life, Lord, you would help me to be the man that you've called me to be. The husband that you've called me to be. The the father, the the grandfather, Lord, that you've called me to be. Uh, That you may be honored, that you may be glorified. In my life, Lord, and I pray for this precious church, Lord, and the saints here again. uh, Thank you so much for all those, Lord, who have served so faithfully for so many years. Lord, continue to bless them and help them, Lord, to be encouraged, to not grow weary. Even though when we look around at our world, we see things, Lord, that uh, are changing. And, and Lord, there's an increasing hostility towards uh, what Your Word says and, and who You are and, and what we stand for, God. I pray as Paul preaches to young Timothy to stand in there, to hang in there as a good soldier. Lord, that you will take care of us in the midst of the growing hostility and that we need to continue to preach and to stand, Lord, and to stem the tide, Lord, of of evil uh, by continuing, Lord, to hold up the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we might live in a way that people see Him in our lives with greater clarity. That we might be a church Lord, that is a praying church, that is a, a loving church, that is a, a preaching church, Lord, that is a living well and leading well by example. And Lord, I pray if there's any uh, that have tuned in today, Lord, who have not yet given their lives to you, God, I thank you that we can have our sins forgiven. Lord, that you've called and said that whoever would come, Lord, that you would 
receive them and that you would change them. If they call on the name of the Lord, you will forgive them and cleanse them of their sin. And you will empower them to change and to break the slavery that sin brings upon them through a belief and putting their faith and their trust in the one who took what they deserve, paid that price for their sin, the shame and the guilt on the cross in their place, experiencing the wrath of God that we, by believing in that finished work in Jesus Christ, could have our sins forgiven to be changed men and women with the hope of heaven. God, if there's any that have not yet given their lives to you, I pray today that they would come and just invite you, confessing their sin, asking you to come in, Lord, and that, Lord, you would change their lives from this day forward. God, we look forward to what you're going to do. Thank you for the plan and purpose you have for our lives. May we live to please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.